the entrepreneurial journey podcast we're talking business and building a culture that's kick-ass where we make it happen grab your seat let's have a blast at the entrepreneurial journey Hi, and welcome to the Entrepreneurial Journey podcast. Today, I have Sean Hayes with me. Sean is uh, an entrepreneur and an author and has a really interesting backstory. Hello, Sean. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Good afternoon, Rebecca, and thank you for having me on your program. Absolute pleasure. Now, when I read your bio, I was absolutely fascinated. I do not normally interview people who have climbed the greasy pole in the world of banking, because it's not that exciting. However, when I read your bio, I thought, right, this is somebody I really do want to interview. And I'm going to just get it straight out there now for our listeners. And that is you've served time in prison. Um, And let's just get that on the table straight away. What did you serve time for, Sean? I served time for bank fraud and misappropriation of bank funds. But the only caveat I'll put, I was guilty, I committed a crime, is I justified it and I was able to sleep with myself for a long time because it isn't like we say over here, you rob a 7-Eleven, they call 911 and they come and get you. It was seven years, but I didn't take any money. And so, you know, I did it really in the in the throes of the recession, and we'll talk about this more a little later, I'm sure. Yeah. We did it because I was trying to buy myself time and I justified it because I didn't take money. Right. But there there that was illegal. And I knew it was illegal the moment I did it. Okay. But um, but that's how I got there. Okay. Well let's let's talk about the context because up until that point you you'd had a glittering career and yeah. you had done exceptionally well and the banking system in the US is quite different to the UK so in the US there are lots of sort of state banks and there are smaller banks we we don't have that system here can so can you just provide some context for our listeners about how your career had gone I, I would love to in fact your 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 starting point with me was I you changed how I would start this because I say, I say this in the book but I don't I've never said this in public but I, in, in an interview, but I've said it thousands of times in meetings. My parents were both entrepreneurs, my father and my mother, separate businesses. And I have a sister, a uh, very successful entrepreneur. And, but I was a disgrace to my family because I became a banker. Okay. Because in this country, in this country, if you're an entrepreneur, there's only two things that get in your way. Banks right. and the IRS. Okay. Tax, most so many business decisions are tax driven. And as my dad said a long time ago, when he, when he borrowed the first big loan of his day, this was 70 years ago, he borrowed $52,000 and the bank in the town there kept 2000 and a bank in St. Louis took 50. He said, that's how much faith they had in me was $2,000. Now oh, that would geez, be like though. a million today, but same principle. Yeah. So I graduated uh, undergraduate and went into the banking business because I had a professor who said it's changing. And you're the first generation of where it's going to be a sales culture. Okay. And I'll fast forward to, I spent seven years with a large bank and one of the hundred largest banks in the country. At that time, there were almost 21,000 banks in America and, and they were in the top 100. I left there and at 29, bought my first bank 
And I have to tell you one of my favorite stories in a second. But at that time, we would have been like the 15th largest bank in America, mainly wow. because a lot of banks failed. By okay. the time I sold, we were in the top 100 and we grew 80 fold in nine years. Good so grief. Clients, I never thought I was an entrepreneur until years later, but I was, I'm an ENY entrepreneur of the year. I'm a University of Missouri Hall of Fame. And I'm one of the voted one of St. Louis's greatest entrepreneurs from two, 1998 to 2008. Right. The point is you can be an entrepreneur in the banking business. And, um, but I've, I've had success and failures in many other businesses. But my favorite story, and then we'll get into the, to the meat of why you probably had me on, is I'm 29 and we buy this bank. And I bought it with another gentleman who was nine years older, who I thought, and he did have experience I didn't have, obviously, but um, I had to buy him out two years later because I would say he was lazy. But right. the point is, and this is the irony, we buy this bank and it has a million one hundred thousand dollars in cash in it. Now, go forward nine, seven, eight years, I had 38 branches and they might have had 50,000 in cash in the branch and 75 in an ATM. So at that time, Fed funds were almost nine percent and um, they eight or nine percent. And so we got to thinking, we said, we got all this cash. If we get it to the Fed, we can earn money. And it was about $5,000 a month, $5,500 a month. So I pick up the phone and I call Brinks and they go, well, uh, yeah, it's going to be $250. So, you know, um, in your world, uh, you know, a hundred and some pounds. And um, and they said, well, come next Thursday. And I said, wait a minute. Well, next, I'll lose $1,000 in the next week in earnings or more. And 250 I said, okay, I hung up the phone. I said, Mike, I said, let's load it in the trunk of my car. Now, there's two things you have to realize. It's not like in a movie, Rebecca, where it's a nice briefcase. And and in those days, you had big cars. And my car literally was like this. That's that's one. But you don't know the real crux of the story. I have to go 168 miles. Oh, my God. I used to drive 168 miles one way to work. That's number two. Number three is in the fall here. It was late fall. It's dark. Right. So I drove three quarter with three quarters of a million dollars in my trunk, 168 miles, no insurance, no escort. Oh my god! If, if, if I would have gotten pulled over, they would have thought I had you know drugs. Yeah. And how do you explain? By the way, there's three quarters of a million dollars in the trunk, and this is legal. Yeah. And then it gets it gets crazier. I get home, and I think, what am I doing? With it? And I didn't tell this story to even my family. Like ten people knew the story before I wrote the book. And I have one cousin I'm close to. And he said, Sean. Why didn't you just sleep in your car in the garage? And you know, Rebecca, I didn't think it. So we unload three quarters of a million dollars and put it in our family room and sleep with it. And then the next morning at four something morning, you get up, you load it back in the car. And I drove downtown to the Federal Reserve Bank and there's like 20 Brinks trucks and a red Buick. So I think your entrepreneurial uh, listeners will say, this man is crazy and I yeah. am. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. That that is crazy. Okay, and that I was going to say that is clearly in the book. Um, just share with everybody what you've called the book. Well, I call it the Great Choice, and I call it for that for this reason. And this is whether you're in banking or any kind of business, you make choices every day. And and unless you're in a very small percentage of the population, you don't. You're not doing things criminal. You know, you're, you're not doing. You're you're doing because you do that. And what. What happened was in, in the first few weeks in banking, 
Um, they had a management training group, go take a test from a consulting firm. And we're in this classroom and I answer question one and I got there late because I was in a different part of the city and I was in the front row and the proctor looked at me and he said, excuse me. And he stopped the whole class and he said, you have to answer question one. Yes. And so, of course, being the person I am, I said, excuse me, sir. I said, it says, have you sold anything from this company? And the answer is I haven't. And he looked at me and he said, you will, son. He said, no matter who you are, you'll take home a pad of paper, a pen, and you'll start stealing things. And so he was right. And we, we, we look at it this way. If you're, and I, and I have an analogy in the book of me flying a plane and ended up over a military, almost over a military installation. But if you leave LA on a plane for New York City, and if you're off by one degree, given time, speed, and distance, you end up in New York City. And that's what happened to me. Literally, it took 30 years. And, and I was notorious for, uh, I, I used the largest law firm in Missouri. And uh, I would go down there and I would say, don't ever tell me I can't do something. Tell me how I can do it. And then I'll decide if it's worth the aggravation. And that's how we grew 80 fold in an industry where most institutions in that same nine years would have doubled. Yeah. So we outperformed yeah. by 40 fold. And it was with the attitude of we'll try anything. And we, you know, and, and we did, and we did, we did create, well, obviously you put three quarters of a million dollars of cash in your trunk to make $5,000 a month. You'll try about anything. And so we always push the envelope and you do that one step at a time. And to me, life is a little bit of white and a little bit of black and a whole lot of gray. And once you get in that gray, because the real margin in business is in the gray. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And plagiarism is 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 a greatest form of flattery. Absolutely. But most of us that start a business work for someone else and we we think we can do it better. And so we yep. take what they do legally and yep. we plagiarize it. And that's yep. the first step into the gray. And once you get out there and you obtain we, you know, I bought my first bank at 29, we went public at 35. And we sold for a half a billion dollars at 44. Right. And so when you have that kind of track record, you you begin to think you're invincible. And this I was is going to say, I, did you feel quite arrogant at that point? Do you think you were an arrogant person? Most people would say I'm very humble, but I was a different kind of arrogant. I was arrogant in my own, you know, for me, I was very arrogant, but to the world, you would have, you might not have noticed, you know, okay. because okay. I was never flashy or flamboyant. Right. I was that same gray or navy suit, white shirt, Hermes tie, tough, but I'm tough. And, and I never, I never, I never thought I was tough until a few years ago. And this was after all the bad stuff. And, and, and two men I've done business for a long time said, you know, you're, they said you're an SOB. And I was kind of hurt. And I, and I immediately said, you know, in the old days, I would argue, but I'm going to think about it. And I came back and I said, you know, uh, one is of Iranian descent. He's very tough in my mind. And the other one is the most affable man I've ever known in my life. And I said, you guys are right. And I'm a son of a bitch because I can say no, because in today's society, people don't like no. Mm -hmm. They want mm -hmm. immediate gratification and yes. Yeah. And, um, that's and, 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 and that's, that's not me. But no. what I would tell your your listeners, because um, you have you have my favorite crowd. <laughs> I love people, and and I say it's easy to get paid, but it's hard to make payroll. Yes, 
Oh and my it, God. Yes. Yep. And that's the crossover. As I say, the other thing about partnerships, because most people, and I've seen great partnerships with where you take a, a woman who's great in sales and a man who's an accountant and they start a business what they're familiar with and they're, they're counterbalanced. Are you taking an engineer and a salesperson? You, you know, the combinations I've done, but I always say that to me, partnerships are born from new year's day. And whether you're in Chicago at Lake Michigan or Moscow at the Volga river, I don't know that your river's quite that cold, but no. you see them with these fur coats and their speedos and they jump into the icy water. Well, you think about a warm hand until you hit the icy water and then you mm -hmm. want to survive. And that's entrepreneurship. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, what I tell your listeners is, and this is what made me incredibly successful, and then in the end became my demise. And that is, I had four men and women, four men, three men and one woman that I met with at least once a week for 15 years. And they were that core group of people who were my business compass, my moral compass, and, and I bounced idea after idea off of them. And if, if they ever ask me, why do we do this the way we do? Then that meant we were going to change it. If we did it because that's the way, be, if we did it because that's the way we'd done it, because then they, they, because none of them were in banking. One was in manufacturing. One was a very astute investor and um, had a fast food chain. Another was a man in the real estate business. And the third was a woman who, was phenomenal. She would interview, she was, had been in HR with a large company and there was a consultant and she could interview you. Then she'd come in and she'd go, Sean, first is you want to hire Rebecca, but here's two things you will not be able to stand and you have to get over it because lepers don't change their spots and tigers don't change their spots. But these 10 things, she's a 10, she's going to help the company. But meaning I couldn't, if I couldn't get over those two things, yeah. why waste your time or mine? And she could and she could do that in 15 minutes. And she'd come in and just tell me. And so they guided me. The problem was I'm 29. Right. At 25, I ran corporate banking for one of the largest states, one of the largest companies in Missouri for the market in St. Louis, the largest market. When you're that age, the people you're doing business with are 30, 20 or 30 or 40 years older. Yeah, it's sure. Well, you, so you go 15 years. This is the lesson here. I go 15 years. One, you're tired of each other. Two, you're exhausted. And three, they're old. Yeah. So I go and I work four years for one of the, well, one of the, the seventh largest bank in America, now one that would fit in the UK. And I lost, a, a, an entrepreneur in my mind is a guerrilla warfare. <laughs> and, and people ask me all the time, what book should they read? And I said, we well, have to read Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Uh, you have to read Guerrilla War, uh, Guerrilla Marketing. It's about $5.99 and it's 30 years old and it's out of print, but you can find it on Amazon. And it's really, if you read, if someone reads the book, I made $20,000 a summer 40 some years ago in college selling fireworks. Right. I spent three weeks getting a suntan and reading books and four days of working hard. Okay. But this is back before copy machines. You mimeographed. Yeah, I remember those. You're too young. No, and I remember them from primary school or you would say elementary school, the windy thing. Yes, <laughs> yeah. ma'am. And yeah. I literally took those and I printed them out. And then I would go to parking lots on Saturday and put discount fireworks. with, And then I put buy one, get one free or buy one, get four free was the main thing. And then I took two 
four by eight sheets of plywood and put discount fireworks ahead. And I went down the road and put them on the road. The point is that's guerrilla marketing and small business and is guerrilla warfare. And so I'm a big, that was my MO for, well, my career, but 15 years on my own. Well, you go to work where they pick you up in a $20 million jet with two pilots and they take, anytime they want you to mother ship, they fly you up and they have you home for dinner. You lose touch with that reality. Yeah, that's you why do. I, said, I, I was arrogant for me, but I was never arrogant like you would have thought because that's a whole different kind of arrogance. It's not your plane. It's not your company, but you're one of the top 35 people in a company of 36,000. I lost touch. And then when the stock market and the real estate market went the wrong way and I was losing millions of dollars a week. I went back to where I started and I'd lost my ground game. And more importantly, I didn't have four people anywhere near like the four I had had. When I got to that day of decision and things were so bad, and I believe decisions or business are made for two reasons. And the stock market proves this every day, fear and greed. Yeah. That was one of my questions. Was it greed? There was both. Okay. It was fear that I'm losing millions of dollars a month and I'm not going to survive this recession. And it was greed. I do this transaction and I gain a lot of yardage. And and so when you have those two, when you have both of them motivating you, and then you can look in the mirror and say, I'm not taking money. And my crime was so complicated that. Whenever I pled guilty, I sat in a room in a conference room at the federal courthouse with a room full of FBI agents and U.S. attorneys, and they had to have me explain what I'd done. Right. They know I they knew I broke the law. Yeah. They had no clue how. Yeah. And um, and so and you can't risk losing in court because it's twenty years. Yeah. And um, so I spent thirty seven months, and um and and it's a it's a Again, I wouldn't, I said this earlier too, for sure. I wouldn't change one thing in my life because if I want to change one thing, I would change everything. But it well, cost me my freedom, yeah. my family, my fortune, and my friends. I would and, imagine a lot of people abandoned your, you know, the Sean Hayes ship at that point. Yeah, I would say they, 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 it would have been like uh, rats leaving a sinking ship in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was, and that when, was the cost. Awful, awful. When when you were well, the first night in the cell. Can you describe your feelings? Is that okay? I don't want to make anything too painful for you, but no, no. I think I'll even make it worse than that. In I knew for years they were investigating me, and then they because the U.S. Attorney's Office is a leaky ship, and I know there's sixty five more than probably seven or eight thousand lawyers now, but I know virtually every lawyer in St. Louis. And so I got all this information and many times they'd say you passed. And finally in December of 2015, they said, you're going to get indicted. And so in March, I went down and met with them with an attorney. We looked at the evidence and there are ways we could have probably won, but, but winning would have been one thing. Losing would have been 20 years. So you don't gamble that. Right. No, they said, take your passport and we're going to call you and you'll come down. You'll hand us your passport. We'll arraign you and you'll go home. Well, they didn't do that because I, I, they wanted to break me, which is fine. So my youngest son was playing baseball and he was on deck, uh, second hitter. And 
a, a man comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, and I was an FBI agent. I had been interviewed by, and I turn around and I walk about 10 steps and there's six of them and they arrest me at my son's ball game. So that's the worst part. The fact that I went, went to a cell and the man I was with had a son the same age, but he was um, already um, convicted of 25 years for murder. Right. And, and this was in 16 and I look and, and they thought I was non-Trump because you have a tall and normally my hair's lighter and, right. um, the, and, and very well dressed because they don't change your clothes coming right. in at night and they, they, they had fun. Not, not really. They were kind. I never had a bad experience. And, um, uh, but I was, by the time I got to prison, I had served 17 months in a County jail, okay. which is I was, when I got to prison, I was the only white collar person that had ever been handcuffed. I never went to court, Rebecca, that I wasn't shackled. Okay. And so I had an experience like none other, and I brought it on myself. I'm not angry about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I um, I grew up in rural America, and, uh, you know, it was, and I was very athletic, played a lot of sports. So I grew up in a tougher part of, you know, even though everyone saw me as the fair-haired, wealthy, successful, blue blood I was, I grew up in a far different environment. It just was because I was from a different part of the world. They just assumed that based on my accomplishments. So by yeah. when I got to prison, I called uh, those 17 months high school. Okay. And then I called the next 10 months, which then I went back there for, uh, for four more to the same place, uh, a bad summer camp where your parents got the brochure, but it was 30 years old. Right. Okay. And then the third place I went, was a fraternity house with no girls. Right. And um and there's there's things and and and, and uh, it's not a good thing. I don't wish on anybody, but literally you can get anything you want. Right. And, mm -hmm. You know, people it, it wasn't when you said when they said do you want a beer, they meant do you want a can or a bottle? Do you want yeah. vodka? You know, do you want sky or gray goose? Right. You know, do you want it was it's it's not what it's more like out of Goodfellows. Uh, the movie where they're they're cooking steaks yeah. than it is out of Shawshank Redemption. Okay, so when you've gone through this experience, um, what? How would you describe yourself before and after the time in jail? What, what's the difference that that has made to you you as a human being? Well, before, I guess. I didn't think about my thinking is probably okay. the same. I, I, I'm a quick thinker. I'm still a very quick thinker, but now I think about my thing in that, in that few milliseconds before I just did it. Now then I think about what I'm going to do. And that's, that's probably, and by the way, I've never been asked that question. And, and, and that's the, that's the, that just rolls right off is that when you spend 37 months and you think about every decision you've made in your life over and over and over, you realize your error was, was not thinking about your thinking. And I still am one. Okay. I was in a meeting last night. And we talked about Nike's the greatest logo in the world. Just do it. Yeah. And I was, just do it. And I believe you have to be decisive, especially your, if your audience can't make a decision. I, I, I cried at 30 when I figured out my partner couldn't make a decision. And that was a decision. And, um, right. you know, yeah. I, I, sure. and I thought that was ineptitude, but I realized it was his way of deferring. But now that I think about what I'm thinking before I make that decision.
I think that's really good advice to people. We we call it metacognition um, in the coaching and consulting world, which is exactly that. Think about how you're thinking. And it, it's one of the things that uh, we teach our leaders. So we train consultants and coaches in our methodology and and we're essentially training them to help leaders to think about how they think because you're absolutely right. Most entrepreneurs are just doing, doing, doing. They very rarely stop and reflect. And that's one of the things, again, that we teach our leaders is how to reflect formally on their actions. So here's a question. If you'd have had more of those skills, do you think you would have made the same decision to go down the illegal route? Well, I put it this way. It would have been much harder to make. I don't know that I can say I would have because the missing thing in this for me was the transaction I was doing was legal until the last moment and a lot of things changed. And one thinking about it might have stopped me. The other thing is I had no one to talk to because I was literally on an island at that point. Okay. And so I think thinking about okay. my thinking would have caused me to say, if you would have been there, so Rebecca, what do you think about this? If I do it, the only way I can do it is it's going to be illegal. And you would, of course, said, Sean, what are you thinking? You know, you would have helped me accountable right then. Yeah. The sheer fact that I told you and you told me that then guilt and shame before I did it would have kicked in. And then I would have made a different yeah. decision. So that's why I used the combination yeah. of you, you can't be. And, and I, I spoke for years and I still do to entrepreneurial groups about a different, not about what I, I talk about mainly now, but uh -huh. when you're trying to build that, in fact, I'm writing my second book on this. When you're building that, you have to surround yourself with people that know things that you don't. Yeah. And, and, the, and that's why when I use examples of great partnership, it's the engineer and the salesperson, the salesperson, and the accountant, because yeah. they have that counterbalance. And, and that's why you can't just surround yourself with one person and I tell people too, whether it's their spouse, their significant other, their partner, that's not the best person to hold you accountable because there's a, there's an intimacy and there's a lot of other things going on that that person won't hold you as accountable as someone who truly looks at you as a business person and says, have you really thought that through, Sean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we um, we have a board and it's, yeah, I, I'm the fast thinker. I'm the entrepreneur and our non-exec is, he's an accountant's trade. He's a very methodical thinker. He's a very different thinker to me. And you need, you need that balance. He's a good 10 years or so older than me as well. And we've just got a couple of new people in our team who are 25 years younger than me. And that's a whole different perspective um, which I think you're right. Business owners need the danger that I see, and maybe you see this in yourself, is that you surround with yourself with people who think like you, and that's so dangerous, isn't it? It's the worst. It's the worst mistake you can make. And I talk about in the book how we we just had this mega growth run, and it was because I had a CFO who would probably be the most boring human being on the face of the earth, but was brilliant. And we didn't think alike. And so, you know, right. I, I saw the glass half full all the time. He saw it half empty, but that counterbalance. And, and that's why I believe, and this is one thing about banking in this country 
and it's changing. It's changing. It continues to change. And we're going to end up in another hundred years. We'll be the UK with 10 banks or something, you know, but the point is, is that the law requires you to have a board. And I tell people when you start a business, I know you, you don't have, you're not flush with resources, but there are people for, and we used to do this when we started out, we would give people $50 in cash 30 years ago because you could take your significant other out to dinner for $50. You don't have to pay them. I sit yeah. on boards and they paid me $10,000 a meeting or something, but you don't have to pay them that because a lot of people want it. I truly love helping other people succeed. Yeah. And so yeah. you can Me get too. people who will hold you accountable and you don't have to pay them a ton of money. Or you can, if you've got the right situation, give them stock options or something that might create value in the long term. But that's the best money you'll spend because they're not yes people. And that goes back to what I mentioned earlier yeah, totally. when I was with um, Don and Roger, and they said, you say no. Well, yeah, because you want somebody around you who is strong mm -hmm. enough to say no. And that's why the third book I tell people they should read is called Boundaries. Yeah. And it, it's really a psychology book on boundaries because that's another thing that a lot of people, you don't learn any of that in middle school here. And it ought to be taught in middle school. Yeah. But just understanding boundaries is so important in business because, and, and you talked about people 25 years younger. Well, I, and I, by the way, I, I don't think the world's ending and I don't think this, but there's culturally such a difference between people under 40 in America and over 40 in their work ethic and right. the way they respond. If you, right. if you, well, yeah, last we, we, I messed up technology on Tuesday and you were gracious enough to give me a restart, but I was emailing you during the time to tell you I was having trouble. And I also emailed to tell you I'd rescheduled. I have people who work for sure. me now in businesses that I'm involved in and, I can call them. They don't answer. I can text them. They don't reply. And I can email them and forget they'll never see you it. Did. But I know they're on their phone all day long. And they just, well, I'll get to it when I yep. get to it. And there's lots of things that are just different. I didn't say bad. And I think when you're running a yeah. business, I, you, you hit a dichotomy that's very important. You need an age variance because their view is different, not wrong, than your view, than someone older. Yeah. So, important. Totally, totally. So how did you go about rebuilding your life when you came out of prison? Well, the first thing is while I was in prison, I actually started a business that was out on did the outside you? and was up and running. <laughs> yeah. And, right. uh, and so okay, that's I got out and, got, and so I, oh yeah, but you're bored and you have a lot of time. And um, yeah, so sure. again, being an entrepreneur, and then along the way to the party, I started and things got better and better. And, and I've been out now uh, over three years. But a man who is a billionaire, who has known me for 25 years, who I did not know. He actually said that my company turned him down for money in the late 90s and early 2000s. And um, um, he, he, uh, he read the book. And this was a few months ago. And he, um, he texted me and said, Sean, he said, I haven't read a book in decades and it's the best book I've read. And I want you to do these nine things with me. And so we're doing just fun stuff. Uh, we're starting, um, we're starting to open ghost kitchens. We've, we're buying 
tens of millions of dollars of real estate. We have hundreds of millions of dollars of projects. And it's just fun again. And it's obviously rewarding and it's very financially rewarding. And what he's taught me is he doesn't care that I committed a crime. He realized I made a mistake. And he looks at the knowledge I bring. And quite honestly, and I said this to you before we started, when I wrote the book, I wrote it because, and I'm sincere in this, if I can keep one person from making the decision that I made, it's worth it. Because I know, yeah. you know, you don't make any money on a book. It was never about, no. But if I help one person, I never thought it would lead to this. But I told you this before, two men, one I'd known for 30 or more years, another I'd known for a couple, one Caucasian, one African-American, both said, don't you feel free? And for the last six months, I feel free again. And I didn't think that. The other thing I have to tell you, and you don't know this, I have only one sibling and two nephews. One of them it won, won the FedEx Cup, has been the Ryder Cup, the President's Cup, is an unbelievable golfer. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah. And the other one is a better golfer, but I say talent is cheap, dedication is costly. The younger one's much more dedicated. Right. But the older one in the book cost me about $10 million and then went on to build his company, does a half billion a year. He's in Inc. 500 for the last five or six years. But he wrote me a letter. when I, The only letter he wrote me when I was in prison, and it was the week I got it the week, the week I was sentenced. And here's what he said. And this is the hope for anyone, whether you fail as bad as I did or you just fail. He wrote, Uncle Sean, everybody loves a success story like yours but they love more to watch you fail. Yeah, they what do. They really, they really love is to come back. And I'm having that comeback. And I am the, as he says now, I have, he's flying into St. Louis uh, Saturday for the weekend. And we'll go out and he said, you know, the Phoenix is rising, the resurrection. So I'm having a ton of fun and I love what I do. And I want your listeners to know this as much as anything else. It took the catastrophic failure that I had to realize what you already know. And I hope they know is failure is, is just a failure. It's not who, it's not a, it's not a destination and it's only a failure if you quit. And I was so blinded by what was going on. I saw that I was going to fail. So I made a horrible, wrong, illegal choice and I failed even bigger. Yeah. Yet. I, you know, am, am doing unbelievably well again. And had I looked at where I was going and just accepted the failure I was going to have, I would not have had the cost that I had. Now, I will tell you, being the forever entrepreneur, I know at the end of the day, it'll all be okay. Some of my children have reconciled, some haven't. It'll work out. And um, I am sorry for everybody I hurt. I can't change it. And and that's, you know, that's one thing I do live with that bothers me. But I know if I hadn't been down this journey, I wouldn't be the person I am now. And I wouldn't be able to do the things that I'm doing to help people, you know, reach their dreams and, yeah. um, and really have the fun I'm doing. So, yeah, no, it's good. It, it's, it, it's, you know, things happen in life, good, bad and indifferent. And you, you've owned the responsibility of your actions. And the title of the book is reflective in that. And I thought it was a great title um, because it is a choice uh, and you chose to go down the wrong path. Um, 
and you've accepted the consequences of that and full responsibility for that. And I think it's only when you accept the full responsibility for the outcomes in your life that you are then able to learn from them. I think those people who don't accept full responsibility for the outcomes in their life find it difficult to learn from those experiences. And yeah, again, sharing that experience with the wider world is incredibly helpful. Um, And you've acknowledged that you've hurt people and you're sorry for that, which is sad. Um, and, And, you know, you're making reparations, I guess, for that. Yeah, no, I, I, I do, and and I'm glad to pay it every month. And yeah, uh, I was I was interviewed on a TV show, and I knew all four. It's a very combative uh, TV show on PBS, and I knew all four of the interviewers. And one of them said, "Do you think you'll pay all that money back?" I said, "Absolutely," and I will. And it's it's strange that how you a get a lot of money. Like, yes, yes, but it's it's like anything. I do. I, I've been fortunate. I know how to make money. And that's what I, your audience, I don't, and mm-hmm. I tell people this, it isn't money. Money's a scorecard. But when you start out to do yeah. business for yourself, do what you love. And if you want money, you'll make it. If you want time off, you'll get time off. If whatever you're looking for, you'll get. If you love it. If you don't love it, you won't be successful. You might be financially successful, but you'll be a miserable human. And that's the fun thing about entrepreneurship is, sure. is, is doing what you love every day. Because I've never worked a day in my life, Rebecca completely and utterly get that that's you know when we do our escape nine to five workshop that's literally the first slide is do what you love and never work a day in your life it's absolutely true so okay I can hear there are more books on the way which is fantastic um my last question Sean is um, if you were to describe yourself now as an entrepreneur, what kind of entrepreneur would you say you were in terms of your character, your personality? And maybe that's reflected in somebody famous or somebody we would have heard of. Who or what or how would you describe yourself as an entrepreneur now? Well, I'm I'm obviously an extrovert, but I have, we have several big things going and even though I'm probably the CEO in reality, I no longer want to be the person in front. Right. And that's a hard thing for someone. Had I not been through what I've been through, I could not do that. And I actually relish that because one thing I would tell your entrepreneurial audience is, I've been, and I know you'll say the same thing in maybe a different way. I've been successful because I had wonderful mentors. And I can think of men and women. I told you about Virginia. I can take about man, Ed Hewalt. And I talk about him in the book who never told me I couldn't do something. He just asked me enough questions and I turn 180 degrees. And that's who I've become. So is that I can get what I want as an entrepreneur by letting someone younger with all these great talents and I can coach them and I can change them. And I, I gave an example of this last night at dinner where I turned a young man in one of our businesses, 180 degrees, by just asking him questions. And he got the right answer, but he was so passionate about it. When we sat down, I, to say no would have been the wrong thing, but to say, what have you thought about this? And he's like, and so that's the role. That's the kind of entrepreneur I am now. Is I'm the person in the shadows who gets to look and help someone succeed. 
And that's what I love about young men and women now. And even yeah. older men and women who go into business with that passion of, if I can be the one that helps you do that much more, that much better, then someday you'll say, this man, Sean Hayes, helped me. So that's brilliant. Right. Amazing. That's an amazing place to end. Thank you so much, Sean, for your time. I really appreciate it. And I wish you all the luck in the world. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and listen, challenge your audience every chance you get. It's a fun ride. Have a great day. Thank you. The Entrepreneurial Journey Podcast. We're talking business and building a culture that's kick-ass. Where we make it happen, grab your seat, let's have